I think that's all I got for right now. I think. If you got your Bible, turn over to First Peter chapter three. First Peter chapter three. I tell you what we can do since we got I hate to do it without Kylie and Ethan, but we've got enough kids. I, I can do something real fast. Actually, no, I'm going to wait till they get here because Ethan will get a kick out of this. So I got something good for him. So, 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to look at the death and the triumph of Jesus this morning. Again, we're, we're, we're creeping up on Easter. I love Easter. Easter is my fra- favorite time uh, of year. It's my favorite. I'm not going to say a holiday. Stop. Uh, but it's my favorite time. When we look at, we talk about the birth in December, November, December, we'll talk about the birth. Birth is great. Birth is significant. Without the birth, there would be no death. But we got to look at the death and the resurrection of Jesus, and that's, that's where we put our faith in, in all that he done for us when he died and he cleansed us of our sins when we come to accept him. That's what we're going to look at. But what we're going to look at this today is not just the death, but how he triumphed over death. How many of y'all have watched the movie The um, Passion of the Christ? I think about everybody. I watch it. I love it. This time of year, I'm going to watch it again. I love it. It's one of the most emotional movies that I think I've ever watched. Uh, me and Maria, I remember we went to the theater to see it. I cried. I mean, I, it wasn't just a little teardrop. It broke me. When you physically see, when you read the story, it's one thing, but when you can take that story out of the Bible and put it on the big screen and get it really accurate, It'll get you. It, it gets you. Um, but there's a, a scene in there that it goes unnoticed by most people. And it's the part when Jesus is laid down on the cross, all right, and he's stretched out. And there's this scene in the, where the camera zooms in, and you have Jesus' hands up on, on, the, on the wood, and then you see this spot coming in. And then you see this rugged hand coming down with this hammer, this mallet, and it's driving the, the nail through his hand. What you don't see is the person that's actually driving the nail into the hand. You, you, see, you see a hand holding a mallet, and you see the spot going into Jesus' hand. You see the spot going through the flesh and into the wood, but what you don't see is the soldier that's driving the spike. And what you need to know about this in the movie is the fact that that hand that you see with the hammer is the director. That is Mel Gibson's hand. But he didn't want people to see an image of a Roman soldier driving that nail into the hand. Didn't want any recognition because he is Mel Gibson, you know, a famous director, famous actor. He didn't want that. What he wanted from, from the viewers, from the audience, was to think about that hand being your hand. So that, that's, the, that's the thing. There's a song I love. It's a bluegrass song, and it's called I'm an Old Roman Soldier. I love that song because we're the ones that put Jesus on the cross. It was our sins that nailed him to the cross, and the director, Mel Gibson, wanted to remind us that it is us, the sinners, that nailed him to the cross. And so when you see that hand, next time you watch that movie and you see that hand, don't think of it as Mel Gibson's hand. I want you to look at that hand and that hammer, and I want you to remember that that was your hand holding that hammer. It was your sins that nailed Jesus to that cross. It was you. He took upon him your sins. He died for 
your sins so that we could live eternally with him in heaven if we put our faith and trust in him. Colossians 2 says this, And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and listen to this, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. I love that verse. That's a great verse right there. It's a great verse on salvation brought by brought about by the death of Jesus. Not about a sacrifice of just some lamb. It's not the sacrifice of some bull. It you know, that's the way they did that back then. Back in the Old Testament they were sacrificing bulls and, and the lambs and the sheep, all this all these sacrifices. But this right here narrows it down, and it tells us that it was by the death of Jesus Christ, the sacred Son of God, the blemishless Lamb of God. It is by him that with his death that we be saved. It, that's, that's a great verse for salvation right there. But it gives us a glimpse into what Jesus was doing at the crucifixion, during his death, and after his resurrection. That's what this that verse does for us. It gives us a kind of... It paints us a beautiful picture of the death, burial, and the resurrection. And today, Peter's going to show us something uh, about this death and the triumph over, over that death and the resurrection. If you've got your Bibles open, turn with, uh, stand with me, and we're going to read 1 Peter 3.18. 1 Peter 3.18. Bible says, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit, by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison, which sometime were disobedient, when once the long-suffering God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls were saved by water. Just so you know, that's Noah, his wife, and kids, and their wives. The like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who is gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. Jonathan, do you mind to open us up, please? have a seat so first thing we got to do is got to understand the death the death if you go back to verse 18 it says for Christ also hath once suffered for sins the just for the unjust that he might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh listen to this but quickened by the spirit this is a verse that explains exactly what Jesus did when he died it sums it up 
in the clearest of terms right here, it tells us why Jesus died and what the death of Jesus does for us. It, it, it paints a picture, and that's the one thing that, that I like about how Peter wrote this. It's a lot like, like Keith was talking about this morning, talking about Luke. Luke paints a picture. He, John does the same thing, but Luke describes it in a way that we can understand it, a lot of detail in the Scripture. So Peter is doing the same thing for us. He's trying to paint us this beautiful picture of the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus, but not just that, the significance in the death of Jesus. There's so much behind this death. It explains the death of Jesus so clearly that it leaves everyone that reads it, who hears it, no excuse if they fail to understand the significance of why he died. It is so simple that a child should be able to understand the way that it is spelled out for us. He died once for sins of every single human being. He died once for the sins of all of us sinners. He died once to make atonement for us. He died once. That is it. We are sinful. The Bible tells us that we are guilty before God. We cannot be in the presence of God because of the sin that is on us. Thank you, Adam. Thank you, Eve. That's all I have to say about that. They messed up in the garden when they took, partook of that fruit. He's good. It's, it's just ours. <laughs> they messed up when they disobeyed God. They messed up when they obeyed Satan. And they partook, they ate of that fruit, of that tree, and they messed up, and that's where we see the fall of man. And from that day forward, we have been nothing but sinners. And so we can't be in the presence of God right now. Now, we can be here at this church. We can have our time with him. We can fellowship with him. But we, as the flesh, as human beings, we cannot be in the presence of God because our God is so holy that sin cannot be around him. So this body cannot go to heaven and be in his presence. We need to be cleaned up a lot before we can even be in his presence. When we're under the control of the sinful nature that, that we have, we are disobeying God, we disobey God, and are rebellious towards him. And that's what sin is. Sin is being rebellious against God. That's the nature that we have. There's not even, we got a two-year-old right here that's rebellious. We'll sin against his parents and everybody else. But we're just like that child. We're rebellious. And so you might say, I live a good life. I'm a good person. I live a life where I'll give to charity. I don't cuss. I don't cheat. I don't watch things I shouldn't. I give and I go and I do and I try to please the Lord. But you know what? You still sin. I don't care who you are. Billy Graham was a sinner. The Pope's a sinner. Ethan Green's a sinner. Bill McGuire's a sinner. Conley is a sinner. Every one of us are sinners. We can't do enough good deeds in this life to be able to just make it right on into heaven the way we are. We're just not that good. We never will be. Not this side of heaven anyway. And we have to be judged. As sinners, we ha there, there has to be judgment on us. And do you know what the judgment, what the penalty and the punishment for that judgment is? It is death. It is death. Sin has to be punished. And when we die in our sins, we'll be separated from God forever. As a sinner, not saved by grace, 
whenever it is time for us to be taken out of this world, we have to be judged and we have to be punished. And I want you to think about the punishment of hell for an unbelieving sinner. That's eternal separation from God. I don't even like to think about that. That don't scare me for myself because I'm good. All right, I, I'm, I'm okay with my salvation. I know that I am saved by God's good grace. I'm, I'm okay with me because I'm okay with God. But what scares me is the fact that there are still people in this world right now, there may be people in this church right now that do not have that relationship with Jesus Christ. There may be people that hear this later on that do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, which means if they die today and they stand before a holy God, that he is going to look at them and he said, he's going to say, I do not know you, depart from me. Which means that at that point that they'll go to hell and they will be separated from God for eternity. Not in his presence for eternity, but separated from God for eternity. As a preacher said one time, he's, and I've never thought of it, and I know I've said this before, but some of y'all may not have heard me say this. Being in hell is terrible. But the fact that the longer you're in hell, the further away from God you get, that's that eternal separation from God. You'll never be able to work your way back up through hell to get closer to God, but you fall constantly for eternity, and you're further and you're further and you're further away from God. That breaks my heart. That breaks my heart. And so I hope as a Christian, as, as Keith had talked about this morning in, in Sunday school, that we be a lot to others. People can see Jesus in us, and we can bring and draw those people to the Lord before it's too late. Because there is eternal separation between them and God when it's their time to go. And once you get before God, when you stand before God, there is no turning back. You have to make your decision this side of heaven. Here on earth, you've got to make your decision. Am I going to accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, or will I reject Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior? And that rejection is what sends you to hell for eternity. Now, the reason that we are not allowed to be in the presence of God as sinners the way that we are right now is because God is perfect. Perfect perfect his son was perfect and only perfection can be in the presence of God so you, you remember he Jesus was up on this cross and what did he bore on that cross our sins as he was nailed to that cross he took on our sins which means he couldn't be in the presence of his father this this breaks my heart That moment in time when Jesus hung on that cross and it was black and the Father turned away from the Son. I can't, I can't, I can't imagine turning my back on my children. But God had to for his Son. He had to turn his back for a, a moment because of what Jesus was wearing on him. Your sins. God the Father had to turn away from God the Son because of you. Because of you. Because of all that sinful stuff that you do from birth till death. Jesus Christ took that on himself. And God had to turn away. 
for a brief moment in time, could not look at the sun. This is the reason sin dooms us to death and eternal separation. We are sinners. He is perfection. That's why we're doomed to death. But, but, this, this right here is the glorious gospel. This right here is the declaration of this verse, what we're going to read. It says, for Jesus Christ died for our sins. So here's the glorious part of this scripture. I know it's all doom and gloom, it sounds like, but there's actually some good stuff getting ready to come out. Because of the death on the cross, because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for each one of us, because of that, that he died for our sins, we can be in the presence of God when it's our time to go. Because of what he has done for us and for what we have done by accepting him into our lives and into our hearts as our Lord and Savior, we can have that perfection in heaven and we can be in the presence of God whenever it is time for us to go. So instead of standing before a holy and righteous God when, when we have passed from this life and, and going into the next, when we stand before God, it won't be depart from me, I know you not, which means eternity in hell. It's going to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Come on in. That means eternity with God in heaven. That is eternity for each one of us. But it's through that sacrifice on the cross. He took the sins and the guilt of, of imperfect man. How many people in here are perfect? BJ, keep your hand down. I've I, I seen you try to slip that thing up. Ain't a one of us perfect. Close. He's close. He just ain't there yet. They ain't a one of us perfect. He took the sin and the guilt of imperfect man upon himself, according to the Bible, and he bore the judgment and the punishment for that sin upon himself. There is nobody on the face of this earth that could have bore the sin like Jesus did. So he was... 100% God, and he's 100% man. It took that 100% God to take that on. I know you kids in here doing math that don't add up, but it adds up. I promise you that. It took 100% God to take on us and all that we have done. It took him being born in the flesh and living the life that he lived so that when he got to that cross, he could say, I've been there, I've done that, I've experienced that. This is not going to be good. Here's the point. Jesus offered himself for our sins. Jesus himself offered himself up for our sins. God didn't have to search all over heaven looking for the perfect sacrifice. God didn't have to look all over earth trying to find the perfect lamb, because there never has been one. They may have thought they found some perfect lambs, but there wasn't one good enough to take on our sins, good enough to be sacrificed for each one of us. Jesus was the fulfillment of the sin offering in the Old Testament that we read about a lot. We've read a lot about that. And it's mind-blowing because we can now become acceptable to God. That's what blows our mind is that fact that we can now be acceptable before a holy and righteous God because of what Jesus done for us. 
If we trust his death to cover us, then sin and its guilt have to be removed from each one of us. If we have trusted him, then the sin and the guilt that comes with our sins can be removed, will be removed. But we have to trust him to do that. In him, we stand acceptable before God. His death, here's the one thing I was saying earlier, he died once for our sins. He died once for us sinners. He died once and bore our soul, our sins. It never has to be repeated again. See, back in Old Testament, they had a lot of different sacrifices that they had to do. They had to repeat these sacrifices. But now, because of the death on the cross, we don't have to worry about that. There will never be another sacrifice. I was This morning, I was kind of reading up a little bit. It, it just it hit me. That I knew there was more than two or three sacrifices. So I looked it up. There was five different sacrifices that took place back in the Old Testament before Jesus. You had the burnt offering, the grain offering, the peace offering, the sin offering, and the trespass offering. But when Jesus died on that cross for us, no more. We don't need those anymore. Once his blood was shed on that cross, once his body was taken down and placed in that tomb, once God himself raised him from the dead, there's no more sacrifices that have to be made. Period. Jesus does not have to come back down here and die for us. When that second coming takes place and he descends down from heaven and he comes to gather his church and we get to go back up with him, he doesn't have to come back down here and do one more thing. I got to die one more time for all you sinners. No, it's done. He's done with it. There is no more sacrifice that has to take place because that was a one and done. Last one. Secondly, we have to understand the triumph. Now, here's the big part, the triumph of his resurrection. Back over at verse 18. I'm going to read it again. It says, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit, by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in the prisons, or in prison, which sometime were disobedient when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was a preparing, wherein a few, that is, eight souls were saved by water. The like figure, whereunto even baptism doth also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God, but the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who is gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. The triumph is seen in a number of different facts right here in what we just read. The triumph, the great, the great part of this resurrection for us. Jesus was made alive and raised from the dead. He was made alive. After his death, he was made alive and then raised from the dead he was put to death in the flesh but the bible tells us right here but he was made alive in the spirit it's quickened in the spirit his flesh was put to death but his spirit his soul was quickened and i love that i love that so this evening when we get home uh they're having uh, preacher kevin combs's funeral today and so I'm, I'm gonna go to that and as i was studying this week uh, Kevin's laid on my heart. His family's laid on my heart all week. And as I was reading that scripture this week, 
I thought about him a lot. I thought about him a lot. Because I thought about his body. His fleshly body was killed here on earth. But his spirit was quickened. In the blink of an eye, he was caught up. He was caught up. His spirit is with the Father now. His spirit passed into a new life, a life that could not be tempted to sin. Jesus' spirit was left this place, and he didn't have to worry about the devil tempting him again like he did the, those, those three temptations and the 40 days in the wilderness. Jesus didn't have to worry about that anymore. Jesus didn't have to worry about being humiliated on earth anymore. He didn't have to worry about uh, being crucified again anymore. He didn't have to worry about the, the punishment of, of being who he claimed to be anymore. Once he was quickened and his soul was lifted up, he didn't have to worry about any of the sinful things that men were doing to him here on earth. He didn't have to worry about that anymore. The same is experienced by every Christian. The Spirit for every true believer is made alive in Christ and is made alive in the presence of God. But that's the Spirit. We don't have to worry about sin or sickness or death, dying, all that. We don't have to worry about crying, the weeping, and all that takes place here on earth. We're not going to have to experience that anymore because we'll be in the presence of God in heaven. The Bible tells us what is and isn't in heaven. What is in heaven is God in the presence of Jesus, in the presence of loved ones that have gone on before that have accepted Jesus into their lives. will be in their presence when we go we know that we're going to have mansions in heaven for each one of us we know that the that heaven is a, a place of of uh, of golden streets and and jasper walls and, and pearly gates we know what the bible tells us about heaven but we also know what the bible tells us is not in heaven we don't have to worry about cancer we don't have to worry about stroke we don't have to worry about heart disease we don't have to worry about crying we don't, have to worry about, we don't have to mourn no more. We don't have to worry about all the things that we go through here on earth. We don't have to worry about that stuff anymore because we are in the presence of God. And all that stuff I just listed is against God. It's a, it's a, it's a sinful nature. It's, it's not of God. And so we don't have to experience that while we're in his presence. When it's time for a believer to depart this world, when it's time for us to go as a Christian, and live with God, he will transfer the believer's spirit into heaven. Blink of an eye. Can't even imagine how fast it is. But he will call us up quickly, immediately, quicker than the eye can blink, transferred, as the Bible says, into the perfect and eternal world. The perfect and eternal world. So perfect, again, there's no sin. And eternal means forever. So no sin forever. Ain't that great? I mean, down here, what we got? 70, 80, 90 years, maybe? I'm hoping I don't get Paul Willie's genes and live to I'm 101. I would like to have that gene that he had a head full of hair when he did die. That would be amazing. But I, I think that can skip me, too. But we don't have to worry about sin anymore. The believer's spirit will be perfected. Never again are we going to have to face the trials and the temptations never more are we going to have to deal with going and, and making arrangements at the funeral home or sitting down with your doctor and getting 
brought the bad news. Never again are we going to have to experience any of that. The believer's spirit will be perfected to live in the glory and the majesty of God forever. I'm going to read verse 21 again for you because I like this. The like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God, but the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus alone saves a sinner. I, I don't know how much more clear I can be. Jesus alone saves a sinner. Now, what we just read talked about baptism. Now, if you read that not understanding that I'm the way, the truth, and life, no man cometh unto the Father but by me, then what you might see right here is that, oh, let me go down to the river and pray and run through that water real quick, and then I go to heaven. That might be how you read that, but that's the furthest thing from the truth. There is no power in the water, period. Period. Baptism. It's nothing more than... The ring on my hand. I'm showing the world right now. I'm married. That's just showing the world. That's an outward appearance. I am married. Baptism is the same thing. It is showing the world that I have put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I am baptized, and I'm showing the world that I believe in Jesus Christ. That's all that baptism is. Is Peter telling us right here, baptism saves people? Is that what Peter's trying to explain to everybody? No, it is not what he's telling us. He is not saying that water or the act of baptism saves any of us because it doesn't. And poor Catholics, poor Catholics, what do they do? They take them youngins up after they're born and they christen them or they sprinkle water on them. It means nothing because they put their faith in that baptism and they think that because they're baptized as a child, and they will tell you this, because I was baptized as a child, I'm going to heaven. No, it doesn't work that way. Peter's clear about this, as clear as it can be stated. It is not the cleansing of the flesh. He tells us that it is not the cleansing of the flesh, not the outward form, and, and it's not the ceremony of the, the baptism. It is not that that saves us. And he's trying to explain that to you. We may cleanse the outside, a little bit, but he's telling us it's more about the inside. We can cleanse the outside all day long. You can shave your mustache off like Nat did. I still wish you'd grow that thing back. You can clean up the outside a little bit, can't you? You can go in. You can get up, Otis. Come on. You can clean up the outside real good. You can put your makeup on, you can get your hair did, you can get a nice suit on, get clean shaven, you can do all that stuff. But all you're doing is putting lipstick on a pig. You're still going to be dirty on the inside. Your heart's still going to be dirty. You're going to be an old nasty sinner no matter what. You go over here to 1 Samuel. It says, But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not unto the countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. Now listen to what the Lord says. For the Lord seeth not as a man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. The Lord looks on the heart. So you might run down here to the river and get baptized. God knows your heart. 
God knows your heart. I don't know your heart. I might baptize you, but I don't know your heart. I'm just going on what you tell us. If you say, I, I give my heart to the Lord, amen. Let's go get baptized sometime. Paisley, we still got to get you baptized sometime, don't we? Or is that Abby? Yeah, it's Abby. She's going to heaven. She don't have to go to water. It's just telling the world, I've been baptized. It's the cleansing. The Bible says it's the cleansing of a good conscience brought about by the... Get out of here. Go give him a shot. It's the cleansing of a good conscience brought about by the power of the resurrection that saves a person. The scripture says that our conscience are cleaned, are cleansed by the resurrection of Christ. It's cleaning us up. We're putting our, our faith, our knowledge that we have, our faith, not knowledge, but our faith in him, in his death, burial, and the resurrection. We're putting faith in him, not in that water. Peter's not trying to tell you that you need to just run down and get baptized. How many of us have, you know, I don't need to show hands, but how many of us have been baptized more than once? A lot of us. A lot of us thought we were saved when we were younger and we were baptized. But then we realized a little bit later on in life that we were not saved. And guess what? We got baptized again. I'll baptize the whole church if y'all want to be baptized sometime. But it don't mean nothing. It means nothing. It's just showing the world that I believe in Jesus Christ, that I have put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ and his death, his burial, and his resurrection. When I was in uh, Israel, there were several people that would not get baptized in the Jordan. They said, I've done been baptized once, I ain't doing it again. I'm like, hold the baby, I'm jumping in, because I want to be standing in this water where my Jesus was baptized. I don't care if it's a mud puddle in the parking lot there at the Jordan River. I just wanted to get in it because this is the area where my Jesus was baptized. And so I did. And I, I was dipped in the water, and I come back up. Did it change a thing? Nope, it did not. It didn't change a thing. It didn't get me a little bit closer to the seat at the, at the marriage table of the Lamb because I was baptized in the Jordan. Me being baptized, and I wasn't baptized, I was dipped. I was baptized at Willowdale Baptist Church. That's where I was baptized. But it doesn't mean that it's going to move you around. It's not going to change your seating order whenever we go to the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's not going to change anything up. It doesn't change your status whatsoever. And I'm going to finish with this right here. Verse 22 clearly states for us the victory and triumph of Jesus. Who has gone into heaven and is on, I love this, and on the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. He has gone into heaven and is seated on the right side of the Father. So we have the death, and then we have that resurrection, and then we have... Ten days later, we have an ascension. We have him going back to the Father. We have him going, leaving earth one more time. And going and sitting on the right side of the Father.
And what is he doing right now on the right side of the Father? He's interceding on our behalf. As we pray, he picks it up and he hands it to the Father. He hands it to God. He says, there's one of ours. Do you hear his plea? Do you hear her cry? Do you hear their struggle? Do you hear this? But he's still there. Still there. And he's just waiting. So we know that the right side is a, is a side of authority on, in, the, in, the, in the kingdom. And so Jesus is, and I'm going to read this one more time. I want you to look at this. Is on the right hand of God and angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. He's seated on the right side. And at some point, God will stand. And he will tell his son to stand and to go get my church. At some point, God will turn to the right side and he'll look at the son and he's going to say, it's time. It's time. And then Jesus is going to come back down here and he's going to get his bride and we're going to all go back up into glory and we're going to have a celebration and we're going to have a feast and we're going to rejoice and we're going to praise and we're going to worship and we're going to be in the presence of God, the Father, God, the Son. We're going to be in the presence of all the ones that have gone on before us. But we're just waiting. We're just hanging out and waiting for that second coming of the Lord to come get us. But it tells us right now that he is on the right side of the Father and he has authority over heaven and earth. He has that authority. And angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. That's what that's telling us. He's given all authority up there and down here. The thing that I love about the way that this, this verse ends is with Jesus seated in triumph in heaven. So that's the triumph of his death. He's in heaven. That's the triumph. That's the, that's the major point right there. It didn't, he didn't just raise from the dead and now just walking around. He's in the kingdom of heaven. He's on the right side of the Father. He's not just in heaven. He is on the throne in heaven beside the Father. Now, I love this right here, and I'm going to read this because we'll probably end up reading it here after a while at, at Kevin's funeral. But every time I read this verse right here, I'm reminded of this other verse, John 14, 1. It says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And whither I go, ye know, and the way ye know. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? And then Jesus says right here, I love it. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. We read this at funerals all the time. All the time. It ranks up there with the 23rd Psalm for me. It's just one that there's a lot of life in that little verse right there. There's a lot of life packed into six verses for us. This right here, when we read this at funerals, it, it can be somber. It can be kind of, it's mournful when we read it. But it's good for us to remember that promise in, every, in our everyday life. Let not your heart be troubled. I don't care what you're going through right now. It don't have to be death. 
It could be finances. It could be marriage. It could be school. It could be work. It could be a number of things. But he's telling us right here, not, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. That's a good way to start your day. Probably a good way to end your day, too. Let not your heart be troubled. No matter what you went through this day, don't let it bother you. You get up in the morning, just remember, let not your heart be troubled. So whatever happens today, don't let it bother you. He says right here, you believe in God, believe also in me. If you believe in God, then you need to believe in Jesus Christ. You need to believe in the Holy Spirit and know that it's with you every single day. When you get up in the morning, it's in you. His mercy's new every morning. His grace is sufficient every single day. We need to remember that. It just seems to make a, a, a little more makes life a little bit more bearable when we think of it that way. Let not your heart be troubled. When you read that, I could, re I could read that for a funeral. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. But you could read it totally different. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, you believe also in me. You can put a different spin on it and... Get, get a little happy when you read it. Get a little happy when you read that, that verse. Put a little pep in your step when you read that thing. That you don't need to be down. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. We're going we're gonna to celebrate this entire month as Easter. I love Easter. And I want you just to, to pray up all month because we have, we got something to celebrate. As believers in Jesus Christ, we got something to celebrate. Our God ain't dead. We got a lot to celebrate. My Jesus is still alive. We got a lot to think about. Uh, Easter to me is a lot like Thanksgiving. We got to be thankful for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I know it sounds harsh to say I'm thankful for his death, but I am but I'm more thankful for that resurrection. And I want you to think about March that same way. We've got a lot to be thankful for. We've got a lot to rejoice in. A lot to rejoice in. And I want to do that this entire month. We're going to rejoice and we're going to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Stand with me and we're going to close out. I want y'all to do a lot of praying this month, that the Lord just keep opening up doors and verses for our services on Sundays. I'm doing a lot of studying. I'm doing a lot of studying. But I never feel like what's being preached is ever good enough when it comes to Easter. I love it. I never want to let him down. But I, I tell you, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to this month and what, what he has in store for us as a church, especially on Wednesday nights as we go through the study on, on Easter as well. Anybody have anything on their heart this evening as we close out? Everybody's quiet. Well, oh, and Nathan gets his kidney transplant tomorrow too. Anybody, I hadn't even talked to Mary. That was her biopsy go. Anybody heard?
I thought they were coming home. I didn't know they was just going to do a U-turn and go back to the beach, go fishing. remember that let's pray father we want to come to you again this evening lord again we we have a lot of objects on our heart we have a lot of burdens on our heart we share grief we share a time of joy but god we we share the same god and i want to thank you for that thank you for a, a living loving kind god that we serve right now father as we come to you we have a we have burdens on our hearts for these children, uh, as, as we mentioned, especially on Wednesday nights for Zeke and, and Maisie and Mercy and uh, the Ch- uh, Denver down in Spruce Pine. God, I, I, we continue to lift them up to you, but Lord, today we want to lift up this family that lost one of the two twins. Lord, as that child is in the presence of you now, in your arms, Lord, we want to thank you for that, just for that knowledge knowing that that child is is where it needs to be right now. But, Lord, we pray for that grieving family. Father, we want to lift up that baby to you right now. God, may you touch that child, touch its heart, touch its lungs, touch its little body. God, I pray that you'd make it whole. God, and be with that family as well. As they grieve and rejoice at the same time, it's an emotion that we can't comprehend. But that's what they're going through. And so, God, I want to lift them up to you right now. Lord, as Nathan goes in for his kidney transplant tomorrow, God, I pray that it goes smoothly. God, that you would just touch and and just work that thing in there like you're supposed to. And, and Father, I pray he walks out feeling better than he's ever felt before. Be with that family as well. And, Lord, as Tina prepares for her surgery next week, I pray, Father, that you give her a peace that passeth all understanding. Lord, knowing that you're in control. And when she rolls out of that place, she'll give you the praise, honor, and glory for all that takes place. Lord, I want to lift up this church to you as well, the ones that make it up. Lord, we thank you for their hearts and for their love for one another. And I pray, God, you'd bless them for that. Be with us as we leave this place. Be with us as we study this month, as we prepare ourselves for what we call Easter, what I call Resurrection Sunday. God, I pray that you would just enlighten our hearts and allow us to to try to grasp and understand as much as we can the significance of you giving your son for us on this earth. We praise you and we thank you again this morning. All this in your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, you're dismissed and we'll see you hopefully Wednesday night.